0: Ezekiel chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, behold, I'm handing you over to the people of the East for possession." And they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. And I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice with your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations." And I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, as you remember from last time we were together, we talked about how the transition occurs here in chapter 25 and following, where now we're going to start seeing the prophecies of God against the Gentile nations around the nation of Israel. He's been dealing with Israel for all the chapters prior and warning them of the judgment to come. It finally has come. And now, as we saw last time we were together, Uh, Ezekiel wasn't allowed to speak to them now for 18 months. He's struck mute by God. He's not to prophesy to them until the final conclusion of the siege of Jerusalem and how the temple and the city was destroyed. And when that news comes, then his mouth will be opened. But in the meantime, during those 18 months, he's going to be used of God to utter, if you will, via writing, prophecies against the nations, the Gentile nations. And so the first one we're going to take a look at tonight is the Ammonites. And so uh, as I wrote in my notes here, I'm going to just kind of read it to you this way. Studying Ezekiel's prophecies against the surrounding Gentile nations will be helpful, but I'm going to tell you now it's going to take a little bit more work than to get the nuggets that we need from these prophecies. Because we have so much of a history of the, the nation of Israel and the background of Israel and all that, it's easier to study well God's showing, as we start looking at these other Gentile nations, we have to dig a little bit more to find some more history and background and give us more of a context of what's going on and that's what I'm hoping to do tonight. Now the scripture gives us a lot of information though if we are willing to dig. so let's start off tonight by just dealing with who are the ammonites. If you're not sure, that's okay. go to Genesis chapter 19 verses thirty through thirty eight and we will see the beginning of the ammonites Genesis chapter th- chapter 19. Verses 30 through 38. In verse 30, verse 30, it says, And Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. Now, y'all know who Lot is, correct? Remember, Abraham and Lot had separated. Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived there. God brought judgment on the city. His wife was turned to a pillar of salt because she looked back when God said not to. And he escaped with his two daughters. So Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father, let us make him drink wine tonight also, Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day." So now we see how the Ammonites get started from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And he didn't even know what was happening because they got him drunk. And while he was drunk, they each took turns each night sleeping with him, to produce offspring. So the Ammonites are somewhat relatives of the Israelites, but they're incestuous because of the situation. Now, they lived in an area, the Ammonites lived in an area east of the Jordan River and north of Moab. So if you take some time to look on a map and you go east of the Jordan and north of Moab, that's the area where the Ammonites lived. Their capital city was Rabbah, as we've seen earlier in our study, and you'll see some more tonight, which is where Amman, Jordan is today. All right, so if you're curious where they are, Am- Amman, Jordan is where the city of Rabbah of the Ammonites was. Okay, Amman, Jordan is there. Now, they were a tribal people who lived on the edge of the desert. They lived a very what's-in-it-for-me kind of lifestyle, and they would side with whoever they thought would, be, would benefit them. They're, again, they're a tribal people. They lived on the edge of the desert, and whatever they thought would benefit them, they were going to do that. So if it benefited them to side with the Babylonians, they'd side with the Babylonians. If it benefited them to side with somebody else, they'd side with somebody else. And I want to show you from Scripture What I mean by that. Go to 2 Kings chapter 24. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to read to you an episode that happened in 600 BC. In 2 Kings 24, starting in verses 1 through 7, it says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned, and he rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites. And he sent them against Judah to destroy it. So here we see the Ammonites are working with the Babylonians to attack Israel and the, and, and the Jewish people, all right? And again, especially Judah, the southern kingdom. And against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Surely this came up at Judah upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight, for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin his son reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates." So in 600 BC, the Ammonites worked with the Babylonians to attack Judah. Six years later, in 594 BC, the Ammonites joined with Judah to attack Babylon, or at least they try. They come to have a meeting to plan it out. Go to Jeremiah chapter 27. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 27 and look at verses 1-11. through 11. It says in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them around your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, that's Ammonites, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys, who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Now before I give you the charge, What's happened is, is these kings, these leaders have all come from these different nations to Judah, to King Zedekiah, to gather together, because they think if we all pull together, we can defeat Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, because he's been gaining power and defeating everybody. Six years prior to this, they were being used by King Nebuchadnezzar to attack Judah. Now six years later, they're now having a meeting to attack Babylon. They're in a what's-in-it-for-me kind of a thing people. So thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the message of God from Zedekiah, Az- from, uh, Ezekiel, sorry, Jeremiah, to these nations and these kings that are coming to attack Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. When it's his turn, he'll get it, but right now he's in charge, and I've made it that way, is what he said. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put his neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I'll punish that nation with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they're prophesying to you, with the result that you'll be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. By the way, did these people listen, did the Ammonites listen to this warning? Now, as you're going to see a little bit later tonight, they didn't, and they still tried to rebel with Zedekiah against Babylon. And as you're going to see a little bit later, um, Nebuchadnezzar will take care of them as well. Yes, go for it. Well, at this, we're going back at this point. He's still he's a vassal, if you will. He's there in, in Judah, in Jerusalem, but he's supposed to be working for the king. But he's not submitting himself to the King Nebuchadnezzar. He's having a secret meeting to say, hey, let's all fight against him. Of course, it eventually gets him killed. Well, not killed, but yeah, yeah well, at, we did study where he was removed. This is just going back to a time prior to that. We're just showing the history of the fact that the Ammonites sided with the Babylonians to attack Judah. But then six years later, they're siding with the Judeans to go against Babylon. That's all right, that's good. No, the purpose of what we're doing is we're laying the foundation so you understand who these Ammonites are and what they're what they're what the people was like. Because it will make our study of our passage make a whole lot more sense if we lay the foundation. Now, if you remember, earlier in our study of Ezekiel, there came a time when the king of Babylon had to decide whether or not he was going to attack Judah or attack the Ammonites. Remember that? If you don't, it's okay. Go back to Ezekiel 21. Let me remind you. Ezekiel 21, look at verses 18 through 22. Ezekiel 21, verse 18, it says, The word of the Lord came to me again. As for you, son of man, mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Both of them shall come from the same land and make a signpost and make it at the head of the way to the city. Mark a way for a sword to come to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah and to Jerusalem, the fortified. For the king of Babylon Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He shakes the arrows, he consults the teraphim, he looks at the liver, into his right hand comes the divination for Jerusalem, to set battering rams, to open the mouth with murder, to lift up the voice with shouting, and to set battering rams against the gates, and to cast up mounds, and to build siege towers. Do you remember when we did this part of the study? Nebuchadnezzar is now deciding, because of this meeting that they had, am I going to attack the Ammonites? Am I going to attack the Judeans? And he consults all his sources, and God makes it so that they all point to Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean that because he went and attacked Judah that he was not going to attack Ammon. As you remember from our study, and I read it to you tonight in Ezekiel 25, look closely again, go back to Ezekiel 25. um, Look at verse 5. He says, I'm going to make... Let me back up. We'll go to verse 4. Therefore, behold, I'm handing you, the Ammonites, over to the people of the east, that's the Babylonians, for possession, and they shall set their encampments among you and make your dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. I'll make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks. So here he says to them, because of what you did, I didn't forget, and the Babylonians are going to get you too. But there came a point where Nebuchadnezzar tried to decide, do I go against Judah, do I go against the Ammonites? God told him to go against Judah. But back in Ezekiel 21, look at verses 28 through 32, the Ammonites were warned to remember that they're still going to get theirs. In verse 28, it says, And you, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord of God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach. Say a sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter. It is polished to consume and to flash like lightning. While they see for you false visions, while they divine lies for you to place you on the necks of the profane wicked, whose day has come, the time of their final punishment, return it to its sheath. In other words, the sword was drawn, but he told to return it to its sheath, because why? God sent him against the Jews at this time. But keep reading. In the place where you were created, in the land of your origin, I will judge you. And I will pour out my indignation upon you. I'll blow with you in the fire of my wrath, and I'll deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall be no more remembered by the Lord have spoken. So to get our let us all make sure we're still on the same page here, the Ammonites were a people who were tribal folks who lived on the edge of the desert, who are pretty much what's in it for me. They're always wanting what somebody else had, and that's going to become even more clear in a little bit always wanting what someone else had. And they're willing to side with whoever to get what they thought was best for them. But they weren't very smart. And when they sided with Zedekiah and these other nations against Babylon, the word of the Lord came and said, look, if you'll submit yourself to the king, you can stay in your land and you'll be all right. If not, you're going to be judged. They all decided to rebel. That's when God brought the final judgment on Jerusalem and Zedekiah. And all those other nations lined themselves up for their coming judgment as well. As you're going to see tonight, In all of these prophecies that are dealing with God's judgment on the other Gentile nations, some of the prophecies speak of what's going to happen right away in the near future to when the prophecy was spoken, kind of like we've just read about here a little bit. But there's also wording in it, and I'll point that out to you tonight, that shows that there is a still future judgment coming on all the nations that has not been fulfilled yet. And so there's a dual fulfillment of prophecy here. And so Bible scholars that try to just say, well, that prophecy was fulfilled when the Babylonians came and uh, took over Ammon. I say to them, you know what? It was partially fulfilled because some of those things did happen, but there are other things that you will see tonight have not yet happened, and they could not have been fulfilled, and they have to be done in the final days of the end of the tribulation period when God judges all the nations. All right? With me so far? All right. Now, before we get to chapter 25 and into the specifics of the prophecy of Ezekiel toward the Ammonites, it would also do us well to see the attitude of the Ammonites toward Israel and Judah over the years. All right, They had much hatred and hostility toward Israel and Judah. I'm just going to show you a few examples. There's a lot. I'm just going to show you a few examples of the attitude of the Ammonites toward Israel and Judah. Go to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10, we're just going to look at verses 6 through 9. If you wanted to, you could spend... A while just continuing reading in chapter 10 of the book of Judges, and you'll find the Ammonites all through this whole section and their attitude toward Israel and Judah. But I'm just going to just show you just a picture of it in verses 6 through 9. It says, the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines, And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. So here we see that the Ammonites go attack the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom, for how long? 18 years. And as you're going to see in just a little bit, they're not nice about it. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to be. It says, Then Nahash, the Ammonite, Went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I'll make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on Israel. So the king of the Ammonites comes to attack the northern kingdom, and they said, Hey, let's make a treaty with us. They said, Make a treaty with us. He said, I'll make a treaty with you. What was the condition? I get to gouge out the right eye of all your all your men, and then we'll make a treaty. So let's keep reading. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days, respite, that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people why, why, that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning and Watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. So again, another episode, just giving you a little bit of history, show you about the attitude of the Ammonites toward the the people of Israel. Go to 2 Samuel. We'll give you one more. 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. After this... The king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he's honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half of the beard of each and cut off the garments in the middle at the hips and sent them away. When it was told, David, he sent to meet them for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. And when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Mekah with 1,000 men and men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men, and the Ammonites came out and drew up in a battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Mekah were by themselves in the open country. When Job saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put into charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites." And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I'll come help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw the Syrians that the Syrians had fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. So here we see David was actually going to be nice to the Ammonites because of a deal that he had made with this former king. And when that king died, his son comes into power, the Ammonites, of the Ammonites. And as he's going to be nice to them, his princes, his advisors say, he's only coming here so he can spy you out and take this land. And so that's when they shaved their beard, half their beards and cut off their clothes so they had to go back naked. And again, you get a little bit of an idea of the Ammonites. They've always been against Israel, against the Jews, and jealous, as you're going to see as it gets even more clear tonight, Jealous of the piece of property that God gave Israel. This is gonna be very key as we end up tonight where we're gonna go. Because we're not only gonna be studying about the Ammonites, we're gonna be studying by the end of tonight's study about all the nations and what's going on in our world right now and the attitude of the world toward Israel. And I want you to see the foundation that has been there all along. You see, if you remember, the Ammonites came from Lot, as we talked about. Lot and Abraham were relatives being blessed by the Lord. When the need came to separate because of the abundance of their possessions, Abraham let Lot choose where he wanted to go, and Abraham let God choose for him. Lot chose what looked real good in his own eyes and regretted it almost immediately. His choice was so bad, it had to be destroyed. His people had become jealous of what God had given Abraham from that day forward. Remember, they had to split. Abraham says, I'm gonna let God choose, you choose. I'll let God choose for me, you let choose. And he saw Sodom and Gomorrah in that area, and he said, that looks really good. And he went, and of course, things fell apart from there. And that area was so wicked, God had to destroy it. From that, as we saw tonight, came the Ammonites and the Moabites. But from that point forward, the Ammonites and the Moabites as well, the descendants of Lot, were jealous of what God had given Israel, what God had given Abraham. All right? Now, I'm going to just make a little statement here. We will always regret when we don't let God choose for us. His way's best. We'll always regret it if we don't let God choose for us. My wife and I are in that process right now, our uh, 230,000 mile minivan that we've had for a lot of years. Had a hard time saying goodbye to our son, AJ, as we dropped him off for college on Friday night. We moved him to UCF. And as we were hugging him goodbye in the parking lot and saying goodbye, we'd already moved him in and we we're about to drive home from UCF, the van wouldn't go into reverse. I jokingly told Becky, the, this minivan that's been raising this son doesn't want to let him go. It doesn't want to leave. And we had to kind of figure out a way to get it out of the parking space so at least drive forward. And it was one of the most interesting drive homes we've ever had in our entire life. Because for two hours, we rode a bucking Bronco of a transmission that pretty much died on us. And when we got, we just literally limped it back to our mechanics and put it in his, his lot and That's where it died, and there is no more. And we're in the process now of looking for another car to replace it. And as you all know, that's not fun, looking for cars and shopping for cars. But we've decided that the Lord already has in mind what he has for us, and he knows what it is, and we trust him. And so we look at it as a treasure hunt. And until we feel like he said, that's it, we're not going to buy anything. We're going to wait and see. And so we've been on this journey for the last couple of days, trying to see what God has in mind. So far He hasn't shown us it, we've looked at a lot, but it will become clear, because I want to listen to my own notes. We'll always regret when we don't let God choose for us, So I want the one that He has. So be praying for us as He shows us what that is. And then last night while I was teaching Bible study, or right before I taught Bible study, our, one of our daughters on her way to Bible study sent us a quick phone emergency phone call that her tire blew on I-95 at 75 miles an hour. And then she said, well, maybe even a little bit faster than 75 miles an hour. Thank the Lord she's safe and survived it. But it was a bad, and thank God for AAA. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do our study of chapter 25. You ready? We finally have finished our introduction. In chapter 25, verses 1 through 7, let's see what God says to the Ammonites at this time through Ezekiel. Oh, first off, you'll see very clearly it's not good. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy what? Against them. Say to the word of the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord of God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over all the house of Judah when they went into exile, therefore, behold, I'm handing you over to the people of the east for a possession, and they shall set their encampments among you, and shall make their dwellings in your midst. Now, context shows us, when did the Ammonites respond this way and say, aha, now that land is ours. According to the context. After the siege, very good. Remember, we saw last time we were together, God says, I'm going to profane my sanctuary. I'm going to destroy the city. I'm going to do all this. After that happened, when all the Jews had been taken out of Israel finally and out of the land of Judah, and most of them killed, some taken into captivity, the Ammonites who have been wanting that property for so long Finally, said, aha, it's ours, and they wanted to go get it, all right? First off, like I said, this is against them. Secondly, the prophecy and the reason for it is pretty clear. The same attitude that they had of jealousy and covetousness toward Israel increased when God removed the Jews from their land and into captivity in Babylon, when God God profaned the sanctuary and scattered the people. The Ammonites saw it in two ways. The first way they saw it was, Jehovah God was defeated with the temple being profaned They saw it as the Jehovah God being defeated and the second thing they saw it as the land could finally be theirs They've been wanting the land fighting to get the land trying to attack to get the land now the lands empty and so they just move in When the land became desolate the Ammonites moved in so they unfortunately though were wrong on both accounts Jehovah was not defeated and the land was not to be theirs God never gave it to them and so, as you're going to see, there are many more judgments, not just here in Ezekiel 25, but many throughout the whole of Scripture, where God has given prophecies about the Ammonites and about their attitude toward the land of Israel. And I want to show you a couple of them. Look at Jeremiah 49, Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? In other words, are all the Jews dead? Are all the Jews gone? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord." "'Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put on sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasures, saying, "'Who will come against me?' Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts from all who are around you, and you shall be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather the fugitives.'" But afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. So here we see that God says to the Ammonites, hey, am I done with Israel? Are there no more descendants of Israel? Just because I removed them from the land doesn't mean that you could have the land and I gave it to you. Why are you guys moving into the property that I promised Abraham and his descendants as an everlasting possession? Because you've done this, I'm going to wipe you off of your land, totally off of your land. And you see there's hints there of more than just the Babylonians coming and taking over and them living among them. There's a prophecy hint, and it's going to become more clear as you'll see, that there's a time coming when God is going to judge the Ammonites and wipe them out. All right? Now, go to Zephaniah. It's a little test for you. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. It's getting easier for people to go to the book of Zephaniah, though, because of the new computer Bibles. All you have to do is just hit Zephaniah, and it comes up. In Zephaniah chapter 2... Look at verses 8 through 11. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and have made boast against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. Now look closely at this prophecy. Has this happened yet? And if, if, if so, why? Or if not so, why? Which is it? Has this prophecy been fulfilled yet? Becky's shaking her head no. That's correct. Well, what from the context shows you that it hasn't happened yet? Israel hasn't wiped them out from there yet. Exactly. As you saw there, very good. This, look at, it says uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse 9, the remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the survivors of my nation shall possess them. That's going to be at the end of the tribulation period when the Jews come and take over. Also, it says, The Lord will be awesome against them, for he'll finish all the gods of all the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. Has this happened yet? No. As you're about to see, folks, as God was talking to the Ammonites in Ezekiel's day, he was warning them of the fact that he kept track of the fact of all they've been doing to them, and they were going to be judged by the Babylonians. But beyond that, and we'll go see that a little later when we get back to chapter 25, there's also some wording in there that shows that God is going to do something even greater at the end of time to ultimately and finally judge the Ammonites. Now we saw in Jeremiah 49, verse 6, that in the Millennial Kingdom they're going to be restored. The ones that are given righteousness are going to be restored. But at the end of the tribulation period, at the end when he judges all the nations, the Ammonites are going to be wiped out. All right, go to Amos chapter one. Look at verses 13 through 15. Amos chapter one, verse 13. For three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. See, they're wanting their land. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest on the day of whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile. He and his princes together, says the Lord. So here in this prophecy from Amos, we see that God's going to judge the Ammonites. Why? Because they kept trying to enlarge their border. And enlarging their border, whose land were they trying to take? Israel's Folks, it's going to get very clear. Stick with me. Because we live in a day today in which the world is saying that land doesn't even belong to Israel. We're living in a day when all the nations are coming together to say that's Palestinian land. They're even now trying to remove any history of the fact that it was ever lived in by Jews, that it's always been a Muslim land. And the Bible is very clear that all the nations on the earth All of the nations on the earth in the final days will be against Jerusalem and against Israel to remove them from that land, and God is keeping track. Even though God may use other nations as judgment, don't miss this, even though God may use other nations as judgment against his people, he doesn't ever forget what they did to his people or hold them guiltless. You know, we saw how God said, I'm given the the land and all the control of the earth right now to the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. But when it's his turn, he'll get his. All the way through the scripture, God used other nations. But when those other nations did what they did to Israel, God kept track of everything they did to Israel. And he's going to judge them for what they did. Now, people say, well, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Keep in mind, the reason God used Nebuchadnezzar and these other nations to judge Israel is because he already knew what those other people were going to do. He didn't make them do those horrific things. That was already in their hearts. He just released them to do what was already within them. His purpose was to, well, isn't that how God works with Satan in our lives right now? Satan is seeking to devour, is he not? Is he not a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Does God make Satan do stuff to us? No, it's in his nature. It's who he is. And God is always protecting us from him. He's always keeping us alive and preserving us. But that's why in the Lord's prayer, we were taught to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. God, you control whether or not Satan's allowed to have any control in my life. Now, is Satan going to be judged for everything he's done? Yes. But God allows him at times for his purposes. And God allowed these other nations to do what they did for his purposes but he has kept track of everything they've done. And the judgment coming on the nations will be in proportion to how they treated Israel. Way back, we won't turn there, way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God started the nation of Israel. He told Abraham, what? I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Folks, that's why we as Americans need we'll to be praying for our leadership. They will be pro-Israel and not just pro-Israel. But then we would stop thinking that if we would just divide the land, there'll be peace. What has God been showing us here just with the Ammonites? It's going to become clear as we keep looking at the judgment of the Philistines and the Moabites and the Egyptians and all these people who are wanting the land that God gave Abraham. He's saying, I know all along how you've been treating my people and what you've been wanting to take over that land. I gave that to them for a reason, and I will judge you for how you have acted toward them. Learn from history. Learn from the Bible. Go to Joel chapter 3. You're in Amos, just back up one book. Joel chapter 3, listen to verses 1 and 2. I don't think it can be any more clear than this. For behold, in those days and at that time, that's prophecy words about the end of the age. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's the battle of Armageddon, folks, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, whether it's Republican or Democrat, but both sides have been telling Israel to divide the land for peace. Republican and Democrat have been doing it for years. And let me just say something to you. If you really believe that if the land was divided, there would be peace, i got a bridge to sell you. You're falling prey to the lie. That's not going to happen. And this attitude, well, God used these other nations to judge Israel. But he also said, everything you did to them, I'm going to do in return to you now. They had a choice, they had a choice. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30, I want you to see, there's a section of prophecies that show that even though God uses nations to bring judgment, he keeps track. Now as you're turning to Jeremiah 30, I know a lot of you have heard the quote about how God knows the number of hairs on our head. You know the Bible talks about he knows the number of our days. Do You know that the Bible actually says in the book of Psalms that he keeps all of our tears in a bottle? Did you know that? He doesn't miss a thing. This Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 will be held on the on day of judgment accountable for every idle word. There's nothing that God misses. He's keeping track of everything. And in Jeremiah 30, listen to verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Let me ask you a question. Has this been fulfilled yet? No. Good answer. Don't be fooled into thinking because they're back in the land that that's it. Do they have possession of the land? They don't even have possession of the the Temple Mount. And the land that God gave them, if you actually did a study of what God actually gave the nation of Israel, and what is going to be theirs during the Millennial Kingdom... (laughs) Jordan's not going to like it too much. Lebanon's not going to like it too much. Syria's not going to like it too much, because the land God actually gave Israel is bigger than that tiny little plot that they have right now, the occupied territory as it's called now. It's not even called the land of Israel. It's called the occupied territory. So there's a time coming when he's going to restore the fortunes of Israel and Judah, and he's going to Give them back in their land, and they're going to take full possession of it. And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Or why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why is every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, and ye shall be saved out of it. I actually believe this is what Jesus was referring to when Jesus in Matthew 24 talked about the signs of his return and the Antichrist and the wars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and he said these are the beginning of the birth pains see for years people and I fell into that trap myself for years we've been hearing how the earthquakes have been escalating 50% every year and they're getting bigger and 7.0 and all this stuff these are the birth pains no not according to the scripture biblically though The Bible said that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the earth was cursed. It began to decay at that point. So the earth, we shouldn't be surprised that earthquakes are getting bigger and bigger, because as the earth is decaying, it's picking up speed. But those aren't the birth pains. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. He's referring to a specific set of birth pains. And I don't have the time to take you through it. But there are prophecies here and in the book of Micah that talk about the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the tribulation period, specifically describing it as that time of birth pains when the woman's in labor. And we see here he's talking about the tribulation period what the Jews are going to go through and I think in Matthew 24 Jesus said that's just the beginning of that time period called the tribulation period when you see the wars and the rumors of wars and earthquakes and all that stuff and it shall come to pass in that day declares the Lord of hosts that I will break his yoke from off your neck and burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them And then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. But listen to what he says. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you, I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable, and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy. The punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you... "...shall be devoured. And all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who prey on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion, for whom no one cares." Keep reading. "...Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob." And have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound. And the palace shall stand where it used to be. Isn't that cool? That's going to be awesome. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and voices of those who celebrate. I'll multiply them and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old. And their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst open the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. So as we've seen, God was telling the Ammonites, because of your wanting to take over the land when it became desolate, and you said, aha, this temple is profane, and that means God lost, and, and the people are now gone, so the land can be ours. Because of that, I'm going to let the Babylonians come in and take over your land. But go back to chapter 25, and let me show you a couple of things that God says to them that we didn't cover, really, that shows in here is also a future hint at the judging of the Ammonites at the last, in the last times. All right. Look at verse 4. Therefore, behold, I'm handing you over to the people of the east for a possession, and they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. Now, didn't we read prophecies earlier that said that they were going to be wiped all out and the land would be desolate? So this is a different. This was happening around that time, but keep reading. They shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon and a fold for flocks. And then here comes the, how the wording changes. Then... You will know that I am the Lord, for thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you, and I will hand you over as plunder. It's not no longer to the people of the East. Who is it to to now? To the nations. And I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, I don't know if there are any Ammonites left. I think there have to be for these prophecies to be fulfilled. Could this prophecy be talking about the land of Jordan and the people of Jordan? I possibly. Don't know. But I can tell you this much. Do the, if there are Ammonites alive today, do they know that the Lord is the Lord? No. Go ahead. I don't think it is conceivable that there are none. I think there have to be some, especially because of the prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet that he's going to wipe them out. All prophecies aside. And then on top of that, he's going to restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. So there have to be Ammonites to survive into the millennial kingdom. So I think there are. It's just, you'd be hard pressed to go find someone with Ammonite on their passport. You know what I'm saying? And even if you were, you probably wouldn't be flashing it around because your history's not real good. You're not real proud of how your Ammonite heritage started, but they have to exist because as we saw in, Je- in Jeremiah 49:6, at some point in the millennial kingdom, he's going to restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. So there may be Ammonites, or they, now maybe there have been Ammonites that survive, so, but at the same time, some prophecy people think this could be talking to what's going to happen to Jordan. It's that same area. We don't know. It could be. All I'm telling you is this. There was prophecy here in Ezekiel 25 that was fulfilled in the time of the Babylonians coming and getting them because they sided with Zedekiah to come against Israel and also because they came and took the land that God didn't give them to get when they were, the land was taken and made barren. And God says, yeah, I'm going to have these people come live in your land with you. But then in here it changes. And all of a sudden at some point they're going to be handed over to the nations and he's going to judge them severely. All right? Now... Lastly, tonight, in the time we have left, I don't want you to miss this one thing. It's easy for us to get caught up in God's going to judge the nations. We're people that are people of the the truth, and we're pro-Israel, and most of you here are here because, and finally someone's actually talking about what the Bible says about Israel, and that's great, but be careful. Because you could easily get an attitude that says, God's going to judge the wicked, them. God will judge the nations. But he will also, and he always purifies his people first. I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to show you two passages of scripture that we'll close with tonight. The first one is in Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, we'll start in verse 15. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel... He said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. All right? They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste and a hissing and a curse as this day... Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, and all his people, all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, all the kings of the coastland across the sea. That might be us too. Oh, by the way, before I go any further, looking at this list of all the nations that are going to drink the wine of God's wrath, who did he have drink it first? the Jews. God always purifies his people first. He deals with his people first, and then he deals with those who are not his. In the time of the rapture, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ, and those of us who are his will become and stand before him, and we will be judged according to what we've done in the body, whether good or bad, and we will be put through that purifying process, and then we will be made holy and pure in that sense after we get our rewards." He'll then deal with the nations at the great white throne judgment. He always deals with his people first. Oh, but keep reading. We're in verse 22. All the kings of Tyre and the kings of Sidon and the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. In case you tried to figure out who's being listed and who's being left out, no one's being left out. And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. You've heard us study this. We've looked at it in Revelation. We've looked at it in our studies God saving the final bit for the for Babylonian king, which is who? It's the Antichrist, the end of the tribulation period. But all the nations of the earth, including the United States, if we even exist at that time, all the nations of the earth at the end times, in those days and at that time, when he restores the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, he's going to gather all the nations into the Valley of Armageddon, Valley of Jehoshaphat. And folks, I'm grateful for how our leadership It's pro-Israel, but they're not pro-Israel enough. A judgment's still coming because we're still telling them, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Then you shall say to them, verse 27, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, drink and be drunk and vomit and fall and rise no more because of the sword that I'm sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I'm summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, he said, If I started with my own people, do you think you're going to get away with this? So don't miss this in the same way as God is going to deal with the nations and he's going to deal with his people Israel first. They're going to go through that time of Jacob's trouble. They're going to go through that time of purification where they're going to be refined. Two-thirds of them are going to be killed. Some are going to be able to escape into the wilderness during the midpoint of the tribulation period. But they're going to come out, that remnant, purified. But it won't be easy. It won't be fun for the nation of Israel. And if he's going to purify them, how much worse will it be when he judges the nations? Oh, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what the Bible says. And God says to the church, First Peter chapter four. Look at verses twelve through nine. Sorry, twelve through nineteen. It said, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, and you're blessed. You are blessed because of the spirit of glory, and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter writes to believers, to Christians who are going through tests and trials, cancer, whatever you want to call it, health issues of different kinds and financials and relationship and all this stuff that is a part of God's shaping process in this world. He says, don't be surprised that these things are happening to you because you're going through a trial right now you're suffering better not be because you're a meddler or a thief or a murderer because you're doing bad stuff, but if you're suffering because you're a child of God, don't be surprised at that because God starts his purification with his people first, then he'll deal with the world. And there are too many Christians that look about how God's going to judge the wicked and God's going to judge the sinner, ignoring the fact that the scripture says, yeah, but he starts with me first. If you remember, we're not going to take the time because I don't have time to have you go back there and do that. But let me just do a fast exegesis of John chapter 15. And In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches and my father's the gardener. He says, if any branch in me is not producing fruit, he picks it up. He say, well, Jim, my translation doesn't say pick up. Well, unfortunately, I think that's a better translation than a lot of our translations because the word in the Greek is arrow, A-I-R-O. And I can show you two other places where it's used and it's a picture of picking something up. You see, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, where Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, the Bible says in verse 20 that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls that were left over. That word translated picked up is the Greek word arrow. It's translated there to pick it up. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, you'll see that Jesus is carrying his cross, and he falls, and he can't carry it anymore. And they commanded, and they ordered a man named Simon to bear his cross. It's a picture of picking it up. That word translated bear, or some translations say carry, is that same Greek word arrow. In John 15, Jesus says, any branch in me that's not producing fruit, he arrow. He picks it up. Some translations say takes away. Some translations say cuts off. I think the better translation is he picks it up. Because if you know anything about growing grapes... You'll know that if a, branch, a, grape is gonna, a vine is going to produce any grapes, it can't grow along the ground. It has to be up in the air, on the trellis, tied up, so that sunlight and air can get to it. And any gardener that's got a branch that's going down along the dirt isn't going to just cut it off at first. The first thing they're going to do is wash it and pick it up so that it can produce more fruit. And yes, the Bible does teach later on in that passage that there are those branches that are going to be cut off and burned in the fire. But I don't believe the first thing Jesus said when he was teaching his disciples about the abiding relationship was that he's going to cut you off and take you away if you're not producing fruit. I think he's saying, if there are a branch in me that's not producing fruit, I'm going to pick you up and wash you off so that you will. But then he goes on and says, "And every branch in me that is producing fruit, he what? He prunes. You ladies that know how to do a little gardening... Does the, does, the, does the branch love it when it's being pruned? Painful, but it's, or it's best. And it's a purification process so that more will be produced. Folks, yes, God is going to judge the nations, but he's going to put Israel through it first and purify his people first through that process. Is God going to judge those that don't believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, but he's right now doing what? working on the household of faith. So don't be surprised if you're going through stuff and it's hard. It's proving your faith genuine or it's showing that you're not. Because the Bible does say that trials do come on the rocky soil and thorny soil people, and they fall away because they don't have any real salvation, any real root. So between now and then, yes, he's going to judge the nations. Yes, he's going to judge the world. He's working on you and me first. Conforming, well, actually, I think that word predestined is in that word. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, those he foreknew, he predestined to conform them into the image of his son. So guess what? He's planned ahead of time to make you more like him. And that's what he's doing now. Will he judge the world? Yes. But let's focus on what he's doing in your life and my life right now. And let that day come. Because who is the judge of the world? He is. Not me. Not you. I love you all. See you next week. Thanks for coming.